Welcome to Thriving Within, a bi-weekly podcast loaded with health information and interviews designed to motivate and empower you. My name is Elaine Hedden, and I'm a holistic physical therapist with over 20 years experience empowering patients to reverse diagnoses such as high cholesterol, diabetes, obesity, and hypertension with diet, movement, manual therapy, and other natural methods. Before starting any health journey, let your primary healthcare practitioner know of your intentions. Always remember, your doctor works for you, not the other way around. I work for my patients, they are my boss, and I get hired and fired every day. I always encourage my patients to ask questions and be involved with their health care. The more involved you are with your health, the more empowered you will be to make health care decisions that are right for you. When it comes to our health, one size fits one. We are living in a time more than ever that requires precision medicine and quality health care designed for each individual. Please like, share, and subscribe. Thanks for joining me and start thriving within today. Thank you so much for joining me on Thriving Within today, Jetson. How are you? I am doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. And uh, my, my listeners, um, they tend to be uh, very health conscious and they are um, really looking for um, alternatives, uh, other ways of, of healing the body or treating the body um, in a positive way. So I recently discovered your podcast and um, I, I was just blown away with with the amount of your knowledge and, and what you have to offer. So maybe if you can begin um, by telling the audience um, kind of your origin story, you know, when you first started getting into um, herbs and, and um, just this kind of natural world and who would you say was your biggest influence? Well, thanks. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I've been doing uh, herbal medicine since I was about 15. But then perspective, I'm 45 now. So I've been doing it for a little while. Um, I grew up uh, in the mountains of North Carolina, uh, very rural Appalachian mountains, and was just very blessed with the Hicks family of uh, Beach Creek when I was 15. And they were an old-fashioned Appalachian family. They actually made their living by harvesting or wild crafting, as they call it, herbs to sell to the Wilcox Company. Uh, they were herbalist, multi-generation herbalist, uh, combination of the British and Irish, Scots-Irish tradition and Native American, uh, mostly Cherokee and Catawba. So uh, having met them and going up to the, like it's 300 year old cabin on the backside of the mountain with uh, no running water or, or anything, just one electric light bulb, and having the incredible opportunity to just spend time up there in absolute peace and serenity with traditional mountain folks who are just salt of the earth, down to earth, nothing, you know, woohoo or anything, just uh, practical people who literally lived off the land, uh, farming, hunting, trapping, and harvesting herbs, and telling stories. Uh, they were also famous uh, folk storytellers. They made some little crafts and such as well and played music. But um, 
you know, I got the chance to grow up going out in, in the woods uh, with their son, Ted, and he would show me herbs. And then Rosie was the, the, the mother. She was, uh, she was a great herb. She, she was the one that really knew how to uh, use the herbs where her uh, husband and son were more experting wild harvesting or wild crafting the herbs. And she would spend time in the garden. She had the herbs that she grew, you know, by the cabin. And we'd sit in the kitchen and she would show me all the herbs she had fried and tell me how to use them. And uh, that was um, that was really something. I mean, you know, did that for years. And also in that area, we had a lot of uh, folks that had come from the Alpine regions of Europe that had settled. We had um, Germans and Austrians and Swiss and all that. And through them, I was able to be exposed to German folk medicine, which became a huge influence on me as far as herbalism. And we also had um, Chinese, uh, traditional Chinese medicine practitioners in the area. I spent about 10 years studying traditional Chinese medicine before I really kind of went back to my roots. Uh, we had um, Ayurvedic practitioners. I spent probably 10 years studying uh, yoga and such before I, again, went back to my roots. So, I was forced to do that. I had a back injury that left me paralyzed for almost two years. And um, doing yoga was no longer an option, that's for sure. So that's actually how I transitioned from yoga into uh, Tai Chi and Qigong once I was able to get my legs working again. But um, these days, I just consider myself a, a folk herbalist, just a kitchen herbalist. I, I have done a lot of um, formal schooling, um, quite a bit, several schools, maybe. I think one time I counted up and I realized I had over 270 hours of instruction. So really, um, plus the apprenticeship, which went on for a long time. So I, I think I, I do, uh, I know enough to be comfortable in calling myself a master herbalist. I don't think that title really has uh, any formal significance to it, except that it looks good on my books. So uh, it's kind of always uh Surprising to me when I sit down to write one of my books, I'm actually writing my 10th book right now, how much I remember, how much is in my mind, and, and how much um, really I can write, and then I just run, find a book, and double check something, and make sure I haven't mistaken one herb for another, but uh, that's really why I can write so many books, is because all that information stored somewhere back there in the little gray cells, as Poirot used to say. And, and it's amazing because your books, um, and I'm going to include all of your books um, in the show notes and where someone can purchase those books, but the the depth and the breadth of the information, you know, they're, they're not, um, you know, fluffy. I mean, there's a lot of information and in how you can, um, you know, present it in a, in a format that... Um, is very presentable to you know the, the layman someone who's just very new to this no. and and one of your newest is um and i'm really enjoying your uh the omnivores guide oh, your, your cookbook so yeah if you can talk a little bit about that well uh you know first of all uh, i wanted to comment on what you said um yeah I, I do i try to make herbal medicine very approachable um, I, I think a lot of people use a lot of uh, big words, a lot of archaic medical terms, almost as a barrier to entry um, so that they end up trying to look smarter than they actually are, you know. And so when I use a term like a diaphoretic, you know, I'm going to define what a diaphoretic is. I'm not just going to assume somebody's going to run, grab a dictionary, 
dictionary and look it up. Um, but the other thing I really try to do is uh, sort of synthesize various cultural traditions of herbal medicine, and I always cite my references. So, you know, I also publish a free article once a week, if, if folks want to check that out. This week, uh, the article was actually so long, I had to break it into two parts. And I sent out the second part this morning and immediately got a very angry email from someone saying, this is just too much. You know, most of us do have a life. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I understand that. But for me, too much is never enough because uh, I believe if I can find the uses of an herb in, you know, ancient Egypt, the ancient Hebrew tradition, um, the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans, and I trace that herb through the Middle Ages, through monastic medicine, through, you know, the Elizabethan English to early America, to the Native Americans that they use the same herb, and I can find that herb used in China, and I can find that herb used in India. And all these people over, you know, 60 centuries found um, similar uses for this one herb. Well, to me, that's actually far more convincing than anything uh, a scientist is going to tell me of what he was able to prove in a, you know, under a microscope or in a, in a test tube or whatever. That's empirical right. evidence. And I like to document all that. I don't want people thinking I'm just some guru who knows stuff, you know. No, I'm just somebody who learned a tradition that's been passed down for a few thousand years. So right. I always cite my references because, I mean, it bugs, bugs me badly when I'll open a book or read an article and someone will say, Hippocrates recommended this herb for such and such. And I go grab my copy of the Hippocratic Corpus and I flip through there and Hippocrates never mentioned that herb. So I don't like uh, at all when people don't cite their, their sources. Uh, it really... Uh, you know, I worked in journalism for a good decade or so, and we took plagiarism very seriously. A lot of times people may think I get a bit too much into the weeds, but I always try to make it understandable for the average person. But and I, I absolutely agree. Excuse me. Go ahead. Oh, sure. No problem. Uh, no, as for the cookbook, uh, so much fun writing that. Uh, really, uh, whereas I, I love herbal medicine, I enjoy herbal medicine, uh, passionate, my passion is really cooking and music. I mean, those are the two things I get excited about the most. And I come from a, a long tradition, part French family. Um, my family came to America in the 1600s, so uh, a mix of cultures and a real tradition of cooking. And, um, you know, my, my great-grandparents all lived to be in their late 90s and even over 100, except for one that uh, she had some, uh, well, some health he had some issues related to medical care. We'll just put it that way. And, you know, that's another reason I do herbalism is because in the past 30 years or so, I would say every single one of my relatives has died due to malpractice, medical error, or overprescription or outright medical abuse. But just right. getting back to food, my ancestors, they ate everything. I mean, so now the regular average American diet is beef, pork, and chicken a little frozen fish maybe on occasionally, and just a handful of vegetables from the grocery store. You know, they had massive gardens with hundreds of different plants, something I also try to do. I like to grow as much variety as I can. And they ate uh, all kinds of livestock they raised on the farm, and they ate all kinds of wild fish and game. And they had, like, no medical care whatsoever. I mean, <laughs> even... Uh, 
I think my grand, great grandmother finally did start going to the doctor when she was going to have another baby. And she had like a dozen of them, you know, but most of them were home births. I mean, maybe if they had a compound fracture, they'd go to the little country doctor. There was no such thing as, you know, regular doctor's visits and wellness checks and following the uh, uh, USDA or FDA guidelines. Uh, no, they ate a huge variety of food and were strong and healthy and vigorous well into their 90s, working in the hot sun as farmers. Um, some of them used tobacco, drank homemade whiskey. I mean, they did everything you're not supposed to do and were far healthier than anybody is these days. Yeah. And they probably didn't have the onslaught of the, the pesticides um, and chemicals that we're having to kind of contend with now. Um, yeah, no doubt. No you doubt. Know. In fact, my grandfather, um, he actually, he did, he died in his 60s of Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, which is horrible, devastating. And I firmly believe that it was the chemicals he was using in farming that triggered that. You know, it's an autoimmune condition. Anything can trigger it. So I'm not going to say a certain fertilizer, but if you did some research on Google, you'd probably find a lot of people think this one fertilizer um, may cause ALS. Um, in fact, Lou, Lou Gehrig's family actually thinks that. I don't want to be sued by them, so I'm not going to say the name right now. He was using that fertilizer. Uh, yeah. Began losing the ability to speak long. Yeah. 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 It just really makes you wonder. And, you know, there, there's just more and more of my patients, more and more people that I deal with. Um, they're just really waking up um, to just this change that needs to be happening. We're living in very, very interesting times and, and people are opening up more and more um, every week that I'm encountering um, to natural ways um, of, of tackling um, problems. Let's just say that. So, um, and, and I just find it fascinating um, just what we really have around us that we have taken um, for granted and just haven't put that, that thought in. So, so it can, I can empathize with that you know, person who maybe feels overwhelmed and, oh, I have a life, but, um, you know, so if, if you were to give advice to someone who, who's really interested in this natural way of living, what would you recommend as kind of a first step for them? Well, as far as herbal medicine, well, I like my, put a plug in there for my book, so <laughs> um, I always recommend for any beginner, uh, Maria Trebens. So it's T-R-E-B-E-N. He was uh, an herbalist uh, who wrote books in the 70s and 80s. She was Austrian. And she really encapsulated the German folk medicine uh, herbalism in her few books. Help, help, if I get this right, Help from God's Pharmacy and Health Through God's Garden, I think. Anyway, she wrote about four or five books, and those are the two that I've turned to all the time. The German folk medicine school is so simple and straightforward and easy, and it's all about kitchen medicine. It's mainly teas as opposed to tinctures, and um, it really encourages people to get out and walk around and harvest their own plants. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's the fruit of the, the monastic medicine tradition that you know, began in ancient Greek, was taken to ancient Rome, and then all the monasteries that spread after um, 
the edict of the Holy Roman Emperor, and I think like around 400 AD, these monasteries spread throughout Europe and were specifically uh, concentrated uh, for a time, at least in Central Europe. And every monastery was mandated to have a physic garden where they grew their herbs and a free hospital for everybody who came in. That was the only health care most people had for around 1,500 years. Wow. And that German folk medicine tradition is the fruit of that. They, they can take it on, encapsulate it, and it, it's just very approachable, very easy. That sounds great. And I, I remember hearing in one of your podcasts that up until, I think you said like the late 1940s, mid 1950s, most pharmaceuticals were plant-based. Yeah, yeah almost so, all. Uh, yeah. Paracelsus was an alchemist in um, the late 1400s and he introduced using certain metals. Now, some of them had mercury and such had been used before. But he's really what they call the uh, father of toxicology. Um, but and for him, I mean, like ninety nine point nine percent of all medications were plant based. He basically came up with chemotherapy, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, but yeah, well through the 1500s, well into the nineteen mid nineteen hundreds, really. Um, you know, let's just say around nineteen twenty, uh, when they really started making synthetic uh, drug products. Uh, the the pharmacists still compounded most medications in their pharmacy. Even when I worked in an Eckerd's drugstore in the 1990s and the pharmacists were still compounding, that means making the medicine in the back of the store. Now almost mm -hmm. everything is patented prescriptions, um, you know, very yeah. expensive until they go generic, but <clears throat> new pharmacists know how to compound medicine anymore. And if they do, yeah. it's a small fraction of what they do. But yeah, you can go back to the uh, the pharma pharmacological manuals and, and doctor's books from, oh, just say 1900, 1920. And yeah, 90% 90, 90 of it is still take this plant and combine it with this plant and use it as for this condition. Right, right. So um, so the, the books are a great place to start. And um, your, and I believe, do you also have um, classes? Yeah, uh, I'm, I will start in-person classes again, um, probably early summer, late spring. So if folks want to come to the mountains in North Carolina and go out on a plant walk, uh, we'll at least do that a few times uh, this year. May put together a um, formal uh, herb class, intensive, you know, multi-week kind of thing where you could actually be certified as an, by me as an herbalist, if that has any value at all, why not? You know, there's no regulation on herbal uh, uh, schools. Uh, my certification is just as good as any of them and just as worthless as any of them. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the uh, If someone wanted to come study with me, we can um, see about putting that together soon, if not this year or the next. But definitely some plant walks. And you can always uh, go on Rumble. And I have a series of videos that I plan to get back into uh, as soon as spring comes around. Called Herbal Medicine 101, and they're free. Yeah, you just take a short lesson. I usually just talk about an herb, or I've got a video about how to make a tincture or an infusion, which is just a way of saying make tea or a decoction. And, you know, I just uh, kind of break it down, try to make it uh, very approachable for beginners. Okay, and I will definitely put that um, Rumble 
um, link uh, in the show notes so people can kind of either start with the online classes or the books um, or hopefully some in person and that I think would be wonderful so yeah I I kind of dabbled <clears throat> excuse me I'm also getting over a cold but I yeah. dabbled in the um, uh, I believe you call it verbanum which is uh, high bush cranberry oh yeah yeah uh, yeah sure absolutely yeah or cramp bark because um, we have a local nature center here in Alaska and uh, a woman was talking about different local plants and um, normally, you know, uh, when that time of the month comes, you know, for me, I, well, I have pretty bad cramps and I, I'm pretty miserable for a couple days. Um, but, you know, I, this last fall, um, I went and harvested a couple of the, the branches and I made, correct me if I say it wrong, a decoction yeah. is, is where you just kind of cook, cook the bark and, right. and it was all chopped up. Uh, and then I just made it, I, you know, I just sipped on some tea and uh, put some honey and I thought it was actually pretty good. Yeah, um, and I was having, yeah. And I was having pretty bad cramps. And then, then I, you know, went to work and I was working on my patient and I, I kind of thought to myself, wow, I, I don't have those cramps. So yeah. um, it, it's just, it's so powerful. And, you know, and every, every plant um, has, you know, everything's made from energy, you know, mm -hmm. when you, when you get right down to it. And then there's this concept of, a, you know, plant energetics and just wondering, you could probably talk hours on it, but, um, you know, how, how could someone start, you know, discovering, um, cause the big thing that I will encounter, people are afraid to try something new because mm -hmm. they don't know if it's going to hurt themselves if, or if they'll, you know, um, get yeah. sick from something. So um, every plant has that energy. And, and uh, maybe if you can talk about the, you know, plant energetics. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, um, well, here's a good example. Uh, you mentioned the viburnum. You mentioned the cramp bark. It's also known as geld or rose in England. It goes by many uh, names, highbush cranberry. Uh, there are actually several varieties of hydrangea, which look very similar. If the person is uh, untrained or, or not very uh, familiar with the plants in the wild, they could easily uh, mistake uh, the viburnum for a hydrangea, and the hydrangea has a certain level of toxicity. Some plants are poisonous, uh, very, very poisonous, and some of them are also useful herbs. Uh, you take monkshood, aconite, for instance, it will, one little tiny taste of one of those leaves or flowers will kill you almost immediately. You know, wow. it was just a, a poison to get arrows <laughs> in and kill wolves or to bait the food for wolves. That's why it's called wolfsbane. Uh, used topically, it's one of the most effective um, treatments for nerve. There is. It just numbs out an entire area. Uh, you take poison hemlock for instance the plant that they use to kill socrates it can actually be used in extremely small doses as an antidote for um impediment overdoses because it slows the heart rate and depresses the cns uh, central nervous system it can actually help counter the overaction of someone who's overdosing from you know cocaine or another impediment 
never be used at all except by someone who really, really knows what they're doing because it's one of the most deadly plants on the face of the earth. Uh, there are many. I mean, I, and I could go down that road. So I think it's always important to respect the potential toxicity of plants. Uh, some of them, you, you, you really won't want to try twice. Some of them won't give you a chance to try them twice. You'll die. Others might give you powerful diarrhea, like uh, uh, the root of the mayapple, known as American mandrake. Um, might have barely survived uh, false hellebore. If you mistook that for um, skunk cabbage, you'd be lucky if you lived after that one. Or you might wow. get hold of some uh, datura, you know, jimson weed, or um, European mandrake, henbane, any of those plants, which um, essentially will give you the same hallucinogenic effects of like LSD or psilocybin mushrooms, except they're absolutely terrifying. You'll, you will think you're being chased by demons. And if you survive the experience, you will probably be insane. Wow. Yeah. So we always have to respect the plants. But that said, we have several thousand years of documentation as to what plants are safe to use, how they should be used for certain conditions. The viburnum, for instance, is wonderful cramp bark. Uh, if it's not quite strong enough, you might want to com uh, combine that with skullcap. Skullcap is anti also anti-spasmodic. But for some people, it's going to do just fine. That's how you have to figure out how to kind of match the energetics of the plant to the energetics of the earth. And yeah, it's, it's kind of a big subject, and they're different schools. I mean, we can go back to the ancient Greeks, Greek idea of various humors. Uh, you can get into the Ayurvedic uh, dashas. You can get into uh, Chinese medicine with the balance of yin and yang. Uh, the herbalist Michael Moore um, kind of came up with an American version of herbal energetics. And his was a little more um, medically based, scientifically based. And he just always gave this example of uh, a, a patient he had treated for severe ec when someone comes to us with eczema, we usually, uh, well, we can look at certain herbs to soothe the skin, of course, but we're thinking it could be related to a liver issue. So he did what he would normally do for someone who presented with, with, with the eczema, and he gave them, um, I believe it was Oregon grape, you know, berberin, good liver stimulant. Well, much to surprise, the patient got worse, and he, he's, he's trying to figure this out because, you know, the liver and skin tissue are very much related. And he thought by stimulating the guy's liver, he was going to get better. Um, turned out the guy got worse because his liver was exhausted. He had been exposed to industrial solvents and was also working as a mm. bartender, washing glasses all the time. And uh, so he gave him dandelion and burdock root to calm and soothe the liver. And the guy started getting better. So that's understanding one herb as stimulative or heating and the other herb as cooling or soothing. And that was matching the energetic to the plant to the person. Mm, very interesting. So now, uh, so like for this example with skullcap, mm -hmm. um, where is there a reliable source where people can um, order herbs um, online? Um, what do you recommend on that? Cause you know, where do you get a lot of these and, and know if they're good quality? Yeah, there, there's several good ones. Uh, I, I would be remiss if I started naming them, but uh, I'm going to leave somebody out, you know, but 
Mountain Rose Herbs, I think, probably has the best uh, reputation of any herb country in the United States. Uh, they're just really good. And uh, Strictly Medicinal Seeds is the best for both the seeds and they sell live plants. So those two, I know I, I can say, uh, you know, without hesitation. Okay. And then you're also on, I've heard you mention the Grow Network. Yeah, so the uh, the Grow Network is, uh, it's really neat. It's a, well, it's a whole website with a forum that was established by Marjorie Wildcraft. It's a great place for anybody who's interested in gardening, homesteading, but we also have several really good herbalists on there. And I'm a moderator of uh, the forums, and so is another herbalist from Canada. And so we answer a lot of questions on there. So all of your listeners are invited just go to thegrownetwork.com. It's totally free to sign up and, you know, say hey to me if you get on there and feel free to ask me anything. And, um, you know, you can also email me at uh, southernappalachianherbs at gmail.com. The uh, podcast is the Southern Appalachian Herbs podcast. It's available everywhere you can get a podcast, basically. And uh, I do a free Substack newsletter. It, I send out my podcast, but then I also send out a free article every week. And that's um, Judson Carroll, Master Herbalist on Substack. And I also have a blog where I post a lot of stuff too. That's uh, southernappalachianherbs.blogspot.com. So it's all free. The, the Rumble channel is uh, Herbal Medicine 101. And right now I have nine books published. You can find them all on Amazon. Uh, there, there are actually two herbalists called Judson Carroll, but the other one wrote in like the 1800s. So I'm the guy that's still alive and writing. And uh, he, he liked to write a lot about the Masonic Order, and, and I don't do that. I write about herbs and cooking. Uh, so thanks so much uh, for having me on the show. I enjoyed it a, a lot. I'd be glad to do this again anytime. And to all your listeners, I just want to say uh, have a great weekend, and uh, thanks for listening to me. <laughs>